Hello and welcome to It's More Than Money. It's More Than Money is a focus to bring you inspiring stories from real people who strive to improve every day. People who aren't willing to settle for the status quo, they've shaken off any limiting beliefs they might have had and they've just gone after what they really want in life. We'll have all kinds of guests, we'll have business owners, entrepreneurs, masters of the mind, industry game changers and money experts who will all, through their own stories, provide invaluable insights into creating a life you never thought possible. Well, welcome everybody to the It's More Than Money Money podcast. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Well chimed in. We've got a really, really great guest today, a very experienced guest, especially in the business space. Very knowledgeable man. Even the info that was sent through prior to the podcast blew my mind. We've got a lot to cover off. Uh, We do want to keep it concise and valuable, but let's introduce Bill Flynn. Bill, thank you very much for joining It's More Than Money podcast. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what we come up with here. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. Uh, And just to cover off a few things with you, Bill, you've had collaborations with Alan Mulally, which is American aerospace engineer and Ford, sorry, former president and CEO of Ford Motor Company. You've pitched to Steve Jobs. I can imagine that might have had a little bit of pressure around it. Accomplished (laughs) a lot, failed often. And I want to get into this. This is a good concept, I think, Kel. Bill embodies a core purpose, which is simplified servanthood. VP of sales eight times, twice a CMO, once a GM of a division of a 100 million IT services company before becoming a business growth coach in 2015. So uh, quite the impressive CV. And just to cap that off, you have written a best-selling book called Further Faster. We all want to go further faster. (laughs) (laughs) So great title. The vital few steps that take the guesswork out of growth. I think that's a great segue. Yeah. So Bill, simplified servanthood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a funny story. So um, I used to be a Vistage speaker. I don't know if you guys have Vistage or something like it over in Australia. It's It's an international peer advisory group. It's sort of like EO, YPO, but it's a corporate run thing. And um, the first time I did it about four or five years ago, the the head of the group, which is about 15, 16 CEOs, read my bio. And this guy who was sitting next to me, who's probably in his mid-70s at the time, it was about five years ago, after they finished my bio, he turned to me and said, how old are you? (laughs) 25. I'm a genius. (laughs) Yeah. So, um. Yeah, it's accomplished uh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you do startups, it's every three or four years you do a new one. So it sounds like a lot, but it's, it's, I mean, I guess it's really not a lot. It just means that I failed a ton of, I made a ton of mistakes and failed a lot, um, but hopefully learned from it. But uh, yeah, simplified servanthood. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Wilfred, Wilfred Pareto, uh, you know, the 80 20 guy. Um, That's actually called the law of the vital few, is also another name of the Pareto principle, which is my title of my book. It is a, it is a principle, it is everywhere. Mm. Uh, it is not only in business, it's in your clothes, it's in your friends, it's in the food you eat. I mean, mm. generally 20% of what we do, 80% of what we do is, is, is done with 20% of what we have in everything. Yeah. Like if you, if you look at your closet and you look at all the clothes you wear, <laughs> Kelly. my guess is 80% of the time you wear 20% of the same. <laughs> that's Kelly. so true. Yeah. Right. Yo. So that's what the simplified is from. And if, you know, I've been studying business for about 30 years. And what I found over those 30 years is that when you look at businesses that are either run really well from the beginning or the ones that have been turned around, the word simplify comes up every single time. Mm-hmm. You know, when, yeah. when Apple, when Jobs came back into Apple the second time, what did he do? He cut from 19 or 20 some odd product lines to four. 
Uh, when Lou Gerstner came in and fixed IBM, he simplified the business. You know, it's it's just yeah. you know, Southwest is a very simple business. You know, it's yeah. It's so it's so it's simplified is really important if you want to really run a great business. Mm. And then for me, you know, I've always been, it's always been sort of my thing to help. I always wanted to, to be of, of service, you know, as a sales guy, I was a very unusual sales guy because I wasn't just trying to take your money. I, I actually wanted to help you and mm. which eventually made me a really good salesperson. I was always number one or number two when I was in sales because the sincerity of my desire mm. to, to assist you, they could, they could tell. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of emotional bond that I was able to do by just being myself made them want to work with me. You know? yeah. So uh, I won, I won a lot of deals that way. Uh, so I, that was sort of embodied who I am, right. Is, is I'm a, I'm a minimalist, you know, you, if you've watched any of these, any of these podcasts, as I said, it was off air. I was done about 60 of them. I'm either wearing this thing or a black version of this thing. <laughs> Simplified. Yeah. I don't want to have to make decisions on whatever. Yeah. I don't like to button things. I don't like to tie things. It's like yeah. whatever's simple. I want to be simple. So that's sort of who I am. It's a really hard concept. And I have read that book, that 80-20 book, and I believe that gentleman was an engineer. And engineers do, at least by my experience, have a tendency to overcomplicate things or overanalyze things. So it was, it was that in itself was interesting to read an engineer's done the 80-20 rule. But can you explain a little bit how that applies or how can it apply in life? Because at least for me and by my experience, trying to apply that 80-20 rule, it feels like you're leaving things undone. So if you've got a list of 10 things you feel you should do, that 80-20 rule kind of says, well, there might only be five, but the other five you're not doing, it's like, uh, how do you let go? How do you maintain that focus into that 80-20? So, so you, have to, you have to do the work ahead of time and really understand what's, what's most important to me. Hmm. So you got, you know, we were talking off air uh, and you said you had kids, right? And so to me, that's a perfect example. My guess is when either before you guys were married or whenever you, you were like dating, whatever, yeah. And then you had your kid. Yep. And then what happened to all the stuff that you used to do? <laughs> yeah. Stop doing it. God, yeah. yeah. Right, because the priority then became your child. You really have to figure out what, is, what are the most important things in your life? Mm. And then make sure that you're spending time on those things as often as possible, because most of the stuff we do doesn't really matter. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I love that saying. It was in, you know, it's in, the, in the thing I sent you, which is few things truly matter, but those that do matter tremendously. Mm. So you should spend more time on those things than the other things. The, the problem here, I mean, less so in your, in your part of the world, but, you know, we just love to be busy in the United States yeah. and we value, we value a full calendar and we value, you know, not sleeping. Mm. It's like a badge of honor, which is just wrong. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I actually noticed that in, I don't know how much truth in the, some of the TV shows, particularly if they're legal based TV shows, they're eating dinner at 11 p.m. Yeah, and ridiculous. things like that. I was like, "We're going. This does, do these people sleep?" <laughs> it's interesting. And, and sleep, sleep is one of the most important things you can do for your life, your health, for everything, mm. it, and for know, clarity in particular. Have, you have to do the work up front. Yeah. Other than that, then you don't really know. Then, then you can't figure out what you do. So, I have all my stuff laid out, right? I have all of my core values and and mm. what's important to me, and I have my three year plan. And my and so my to do list is checked against those things. And I say, should I, do, should I really be doing this or not? And if, if I don't, my, and my to-do list is really short now. It used to be longer, but mm. I hardly do anything, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially in COVID. You know, I mean, yeah. last, year, last year I worked 50 days yeah. out of the entire year. And I made, even in COVID, I made about as much money as I did the year before. 
How did you adjust to that? Like you, we've spoken about the, it's almost a badge of honour to be busy. And Australia is much the same. Yeah. Like if anything, if you're not putting in the effort and you're not putting in the hours, yeah, you either you're lazy or you're not going to get mm. the success you're after. There's nothing yeah. about really efficiency or 80-20 type and focus on what matters. But one of the things you touched on there, which we touch, talk about a lot with people, is values. So when you're talking to CEOs and business owners, is that a big core part of your teaching and coaching? Yeah. So uh, we, we build out an entire plan of which, you know, there's core stuff, which is values and purpose and competencies yep. and all the resources and all those things, because, um, you know, this may apply to life, but we'll, we'll see. Let me, let me, let me run through it and then we can decide if it actually applies to life. <laughs> but when you're building a business, you're basically making a bunch of decisions about change. Yeah, that's what you're doing because growth is change. If you want to grow your business, it's about change. So you have to understand where are we going? So you have to have some sort of vision, right? Mm -hmm. What do we want to call that thing? A just cause or whatever that thing is where we're headed. But you also have to make sure you understand your identity because the decisions are all the things in the middle. Mm. Your decisions are generally how to grow. But if you grow for growth's sake, that's the ideology of a cancer cell Do that. And most cancer cells damage or kill their hosts. That's not Mm. a good thing. Mm. And most businesses die and or struggle tremendously. So you don't want to violate who you are and that's your values and your purpose and what you love and your passion and all those things. So that also happens, you know, I think that's going to answer also for the previous question, which is, you know, how do you, how do you make sure that you do the things that matter the most is you have to mm. understand, is it getting me where I, where I expect to go? And is it who I really am and what I value? Mm. And if it isn't, then you should probably not do it or at least challenge strongly whether you should. Mm. Um, it, it wipes, it makes, it makes saying no so much easier to think. Yeah. I've said no to many, I've, I've fired clients and, and or yeah. I've said no to clients because they don't fit into who I want to work with and what they're about, um, or they're not doing the work themselves. And I'm, I don't want to take people's money. I could certainly take people's money, but I don't want to do that yeah. either. I want to, I want to add value. Also, my business is referral based. Mm. So I need happy, you know, clients yeah. who are going to talk about me and, and that kind of stuff. So so, so yes, super important uh, and is one of the foundations you need to, to help you make better decisions. Bill, well, oh, sorry, I was yeah. going to ask you, Bill, what would define a good company to you? Like what's a good company that you, like what, how do you define? I don't define care about a good, the company. Yeah, it's yeah. the people. It's I care about the mindset of yep. the leader. That's amazing she, because yeah. we, we actually have that philosophy in our business ourselves. So the, the fact mm. that you've actually used those exact mm. words, we say to people we have a, a business coach and what's your ideal client? And we go, well, and often they're looking for metrics, financial yeah, metrics. Attributes. And we go, well, it's all about mindset. Are they going to turn up? Do they want change? Are they going to participate in what we're trying to do with them and for them? Mm. Yep. That's first and foremost. The rest, the numbers can come in after. So it's interesting. Yep. You that. When people ask me that, again, they're asking for size of company or... Mm some demographics about them, whatever it is. And I said, I don't really care. I said, as long as they can afford me, I'm really expensive, <laughs> right? I'm honest. I, I, well, I'm it's all relative, it. isn't it? Yeah, I'm seriously expensive. Um, <laughs> I, I make an obscene amount of money per hour. And, and I know that. I mean, I, I, I grew up in a blue collar. I mean, you know, my dad was yeah, a fighter. Yeah. So I, I understand I was solid or, or lower middle class growing up. Yeah. The amount of money I make now blows my mind. But I'm worth it because if you do the work, my ROI is 10 to hundred X of what I charge you. Yeah. It's like through the roof. So they have to be able to afford it. Yep. The second is you have to be, uh, you have to be a humble learner 
who is comfortable challenging the status quo. That's it. Yeah. I don't care what business you're in. Yeah. What I teach is principle-based. You can apply it anywhere, except for maybe like fashion or something sort of ephemeral mm. as a yeah. business, you know? But other, if it's if it's a business that's not like that, like art or something, it, it yeah, applies okay. anything. It doesn't matter. Dairy, it could be a high-tech manufacturer. I don't care. So you, it might sound obvious in what you're saying, but just to, I guess, circle back, if anything, and round off on that, you're more focused and... Uh, I guess when you're teaching people, it's about the mind, your mindset coach, as opposed to let's look at your balance sheet. Let's look at your P and L's. Let's look at how the revenue. I definitely do that as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, But, but in terms of choosing clients, feeling like I have a chance of helping them, because if you're not those things, I can't really help you uh, because you're not going to work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And as we sort of touched on before in talking to our clients, it, it is about mindset. So we start with setting a foundation of their core values and what really matters. Mm-hmm. And we go down the road then of not necessarily goal setting, setting, but what milestones do they want to accomplish throughout life? So we find that goals are too finite. They're too much of an end point and it, it ends up being a little bit more uh, jittery mm-hmm. instead of milestones, which is, has more flow around it. So we could set a goal that might be, uh, let's have, I don't want to get the business to 20 million, for example, but if it gets to 18, is that just as good as a result? Mm. Or if it gets to 22, that's obviously a better result. So it's more about the milestone along the way and also the people. And the practice, like it's constantly every day, just practicing, practicing, practicing. But you also um, go right into a belief system. So sometimes in our belief system, some beliefs aren't serving us. So we recircle back to them and go, what is serving us? And what isn't serving us? So we upgrade those belief systems to where they want to be living today's life. So we find that some of our clients are living with old belief systems from their parents. So mum and dad, this this is how I was raised (laughs) um, and this is how my life is. So mum and dad have set basically their beliefs, um, which aren't serving them. Um, that's it can be very limiting. Yeah, mm. very limiting. So it's a it's a really interesting um, experience to be sitting in front of our clients and, and doing that because they have never even spoken about that. Some of them don't even know what the word belief is. So it's 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 a um, really really good to mm. see the shift. And you said something before, which was growing for the sake of growing. And I've literally done a blog vlog post a few weeks back. And it's a, it's a topic of conversation with business owners. You're growing for the sake of growing. So we've sat down with business owners who actually like 10 years on, when you ask them, when were you at your happiest? And they said, Oh, seven years ago when the business was smaller and we had less staff and now they're so time poor, they've sacrificed everything. They've got into that loop of growing for the sake of growing. Mm. It's really cool. There's a couple of things you've mentioned today already that are, the exact conversations we have with people, by no means we're not worth your amount per hour. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to touch on, you sort of went into just a little bit, just briefly about how businesses fail. So one of your stats from your book was that about 6,000 new companies start every hour. Hour. And 120,000 active firms are terminating each day. What's going on there? What do you see there? That's a huge, well, actually, huge and, it, and, and that research is probably 10 or 15 years old, and it's yeah. worse because fewer companies are actually being started now, at least in the U.S. Okay. So I think since 2000, uh, I want to say eight or nine, mm. the first time where fewer companies were actually starting than were ending. Ah. So we have fewer and fewer companies 
um, adding to the mix where before it was either pretty even or, or generally more companies were started than, than, were, than were dying. But in the US, there's, um, there are two sort of pools of data that I'm familiar with. One is from the Small Business Administration, which yeah. handles all you know, small businesses of which there are millions in the United States. And, uh, and then the Bureau of Labor Statistics and their data is basically the same, which says that, so one of them is if you started a business in 1994 in the United States, by 1999, half of them were out of business. Uh, another 10 years on, another uh, only 25% were left. And then another five years from that, only 16% were left. I think it's actually similar statistics here. Yeah, And I, I think imagine. that really just goes to show human thinking. It doesn't matter what country you're in. There's a yeah. certain element of consistency around how we think or how we limit ourselves. Yeah, which to me is a little counterintuitive because you figure the longer you do something, you should get better at it, right? Mm. Mm. Generally. But we don't. We get worse at it. And I, my, my theory is that tiny errors compound. And as you grow and you make tiny errors, they just get, they just start to weigh on you. And that becomes a problem. So to make it even worse, so, so you're dead, right? And so it's over. And it's almost better. Many of the folks that survive are struggling on a regular basis. Very few businesses actually thrive. Uh, meaning that they're, you know, it's a great place to work and they generally have an idea, you know, barring any crazy stuff like COVID or 2008 or whatever, they generally are controlling their destiny to the degree that they can. There are so few companies that do that, um, but it's not like a magic formula. It, there is a way to do it, but no one has ever taught people how to do it. And, and I'm sort of taking my knowledge and that's why I wrote the book as a sort of an accidental author. I didn't try, I didn't, I'd never wanted to write a book, but you know, it wasn't out there and people just asked me to write it and I'm like, all right, I'll give it a go. And so that's what, that's what drives me. The other thing besides sort of simplified servanthood is my mantra is I really think it's a shame that really good ideas, really good businesses and really good people fail or struggle for completely preventable reasons. And I want to tell as many people that there's a better way to do it. And it's actually easier. Eventually it takes a lot of work at the beginning. It's like a flywheel. It's really heavy at the beginning and you got to do all this work. But once you do it, your life becomes easier. Mm. And I, I tell my leaders, you have to fire, your job is to fire yourself from the day-to-day. -day. Yeah, That's your okay. first job. Okay. Fire yourself from the day-to-day -day because your job isn't to run the business anymore, unless you're small. I mean, there's varying degrees. Mm. Your job is to predict the future of the business. And that takes time to think. Mm. And you can't, your brain, none of our brains can do and think at the same time. It's impossible. It just can't be done. So that's not just a, a male versus female thing. That's a human thing. <laughs> Yeah. Some are better than others, right? Uh, sort of context switch better than men, mostly. Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. You still have to do it. You know, you know, and I say this to folks all the time. Your job is 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 to predict the future, which is really about creation, innovation, insight. And and I ask this a lot of people, so I'll ask of you guys. So when do you get your best ideas? What are you doing? It's not much. So for yeah. me, my best ideas come when I'm literally there's nothing happening around me and I'm just it's quiet and I've got time, like I've got headspace to think. And for I mean, me, I'm, I don't know, this is, sounds so weird, but sometimes I have a really smart day and creative day <laughs> and then some days I don't. But um, I feel that if I'm in a really positive mindset, my creative mind is constantly going because that's what I work on in the business is thinking for the future. So I can totally understand what you're saying, but, um, and I'm, I, I totally get how you said you got to step away from the business. And I had to do that last October. 
um, step away from the business. And I've not, I've noticed since I've stepped away and stayed in my lane, which is predicting the future of the business and being creative, things have just skyrocketed. So yeah, mm. it's yeah, it's so true. And it brings when that focus comes into whether it be a personal situation or into the business, it the energy comes forward to let's say the business or the family unit. Mm. So when there's a more creative, positive energy that comes through because of that focus and you're not feeling clustered and cluttered and mm. trying to address 10 things at a time, everything just works so much better. Mm. And we touched on a little bit earlier, there's almost a badge of honour that the more balls that you can juggle, the better you are. But it's actually the better you are is with the less balls you're yeah. actually juggling. Juggling, Absolutely. That's, and, and that's, that's everywhere. Yeah. And I've definitely found that stepping out and just concentrating on my lane and I'm not going into different people's lanes just my lane and um, I'm definitely got more energy I feel like I'm actually more organized and I'm actually like you said I'm spending time with the people that I want to spend time with so I've been very particular of where my time goes and that's been serving me really well Mm, absolutely and it's Mm. served the whole business and the the Mm. family unit well this all for me all comes back to uh, especially around business and even uh, as an adult, as a parent, leadership. So how do you lead those around you? So what, I guess we'll start off, what got you interested in leadership in the first place? What sort of, what what grabbed your attention that you really wanted to dive into that? Well, first I want to understand what leadership was. And I've come to believe that there's no such thing as leadership, meaning in terms of like being able to say, oh, if you do these things, you're a great, you can be a leader. Um, I think it's about followership because all leaders the, the one thing they do that's in common is they create followers, right. but they all do it different ways, right? Steve Jobs is different than Alan Mulally is different than, than Bill Gates and then Warren Buffett and Kelleher. They're all different personalities. Elon Musk is kind of a brusque guy and, but they all find a way to create followers in some way, shape or form, mm. depending on the sort of um, largesse of the personality and, and, and the vision, they'll forgive you of many of your issues right now. Mm. Uh, I don't want to make this political, but we can we can argue, you know, whether Donald Trump was a good president or not. But yeah. 74 million people thought he was great. Mm. They yeah. followed him. So he's a mm. leader. We can argue whether he's good. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we won't go there. Um, but he's a leader. So it's, there's something about him or what he said yeah. or where, you know, whatever that people like. Yeah. You know, they grabbed onto this. You have to have a compelling vision and that will create followers because they're like, yeah, I want to help you do that. And then the other thing you have to have, I think, is just courage. Most people, a lot of people are going to tell you that you're wrong. They're going to challenge your vision. They're going to say it can't be done or whatever. And you have to have the courage to be able to defend it, support it, but also give away to others the ability to help you do it. You have to create an autonomous environment. So they say, great, here's what we're doing. I can't do it by myself. Let's do it together. Mm. That takes courage because, you know, you're, you're giving probably something a way that you could do better than someone else in putting the pieces together in the first part of what you were saying then creating that following is one of the ingredients is to have that conviction in what your purpose is and i think to have conviction in your purpose you need to be very clear on your values and what matters because people will see through a facade they'll see if there's some cracks or some weaknesses in this supposed conviction that you're having a purpose or a desire that you're trying to pursue. But if you actually align that purpose with what you value most in life, that, com- that conviction is going to come through authentically. So yeah. those following you are going to see that. And we'll use Donald Trump as an example. 
while it might have appeared, and it depends how he was portrayed in the media, we've got no idea, especially over here, but there are some moments that look like, you go, what the hell are you doing? That doesn't even make any sense. But every step of the way, he had absolute conviction in what he was doing. Oh, absolutely. That's potentially what bred that following. They saw him with a purpose. He knew what he wanted to do, although it was portrayed or he didn't sell it very well, but he always had that conviction and he always stood his ground, so to speak, on on what he wanted to do. Is, is that one of those main ingredients, the, the conviction? Well, that's the compelling part. I think I yeah. think that really is the compelling is, is, you know, we're interesting animals. We can sense when someone isn't really sincere. Yeah. You know, uh, our brain has been trained to, you know, see micro expressions and other things, differences in language and all that kind of stuff. If you break that trust, then you're going to lose that sort of compelling aspect of it. And, um, mm. you know, I, I love this saying, which about trust, which is trust arrives on foot and yeah. leaves in a Ferrari. Oh, oh that's a good one. <laughs> so like once you lose it, it's really tough to get it back. It takes a long time to get it back. And, yeah. Uh, so you have to you have to believe in it and truly believe in it, and, and it will work really well. But those people are rare. You know, it doesn't have to be, but they're definitely rare. In Australia, we find like um, it's interesting when you get qualifications and stuff like that. You can get them off bloody Weebix boxes these days. And um, some, I, I'm a big believer that some people go to work for different reasons. So some people go to work for pay for their pay. Some people go to work um, because they love it, and some people are going to work to follow their passion. And you can really, I these days, I can really find the difference between you know what, you absolutely are following your passion and purpose in this job it, because it's so authentic. But then mm-hmm. you might go to another salesperson and then you're like, yeah, no, nah, you're here just for the money because it is not interested and the, the depth of the conversation's not there. And, and like you said, we can feel it. Like um, people say to me, you've got a really good gut instinct, Kelly. And I don't know how I got that, but I've always had that in life. And I'm the same as you. I've always had a role of selling um, until I... Um, worked in parent financial group and um, I was the highest always in sales and it's because I loved what I did and I, I actually wanted to help people I wanted to help people that it's not about the product it was about helping people get what they want to do to make them feel better so I can totally understand when you say if you're not in a job that you're following your purpose and passion it's going to come through and you're not going to see those results agree yeah and it's got, yes. you're going to be tired Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. because because you're you're in essence creating dissonance within your own self. Absolutely, lost you. Yes, um, and that's probably why then you get less interested in what you're doing because uh, you're yeah. tired and you probably don't sleep as well. And we don't see this again. Tiny errors compound, right? It's over time, mm-hmm. sort of builds up. And and you're right. I mean, if you believe the data that's out there from Gallup and Mayflower, etc., most people are disengaged to work. Yes. They're certainly not engaged. You know, it's like 60, 70, 80% of people are just there for a paycheck. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Which is I, sad. Um, it, it, is, is. it is so yeah. sad because I always, I, I always say to um, people when I'm speaking to them, like, you're at work 20 days of the month. You've yeah. only got. And potentially oh, flow on through the weekend. You only have and, eight mm. days to yourself. That's the weekend. Like, do the mass here. Wouldn't you rather be happy 20 days of the month and like a little bit unhappy eight days? I know I would be. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like work yeah. it out. So I just, I believe that 
people sometimes, you know, even from childhood, they're told what they need to do in life. They go to uni, they're trying to live in mum and dad's expectations. And this is what I should be doing. This is what I've been told to do. And so many people are living unhappy lives because of employment. They're not following what they really, really wanted. And um, people say to me, why do you always sound so excited, Kellen? I love what I do. Like, it's not work for me. I love helping people. Like, geez, this is so good to see people getting stuff from me. I'm serving others. It's not about yeah. what I can get back from this conversation. It's what the person in front of me, I can help. And it's, it's, it's a really, I, I find it a really good gift, um, a gift that I have to give to others. And I just, I love it. So, mm. but, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not everybody. And everybody looks at me and goes, well, but do you know what? I'm, I'm following my purpose and passion is helping others, whether it's selling a lollipops or whether it's selling whatever. I can do whatever as long as I'm helping and serving others. There's mm. a lot of joy that can come from a lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> I get so many lollipops to Tanzania kids. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. But uh, you bring up an interesting point, and I'm happy to veer back off it if you want. Yeah, but for sure. I think we're trained yes. to be this way. And, and you mentioned school. Uh, at mm. least in the U.S., we're trained that, you're you're a, you're valuable. You're a good student if you have the answer. Absolutely. Uh, but mm. not if you ask a question. Yeah. Mm. And the best ideas come from questioning, from inquiry. Yeah. We don't teach kids how to do that. We teach them that you must know the answer. And if you don't know the answer, then you know you're not good. You fail. Yeah. And and then it just perpetuates itself through, you know, mm. you know, all the way through university and, and et cetera. So by the time you get into work, that's what your expectation is, is that you, you, you need to know things. And if you don't know them, then you must, you know, lie, hide and lie, hide and fake as Simon Sinek says, right? That's our second job, oh. work, right? Lying, mm. hiding and faking because you don't want to be seen mm. as unknowing or it makes yeah. you weak. You know, Amy Edmonds yeah. has done tons of research on psychologically safe environments. And that's what she says, you know, no one, no one wants to see, be seen as ignorant, incompetent, et cetera, obnoxious. Mm, but, mm. but how do you do that? If you don't want to be ignorant, don't, don't, don't say something that might be wrong. It's mm. so, yeah. Fake it to make it. It's so true because you could go back to even your whole in your life, like even if you go and buy a microwave and you're at a big electronic store and you buy this microwave, but you don't, as a consumer, you don't even ask the questions about this microwave because you feel dumb. You should know. You should be able to read it and pick up the warranty and look all that sort of stuff. And you don't even ask questions and you take it away and you put it at home and next minute it doesn't work. And, and why is that? Because we haven't asked enough questions because we feel dumb about a microwave. It, it happens all the time. And I, we speak to people and go, why don't you ask questions? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, what, what you look, you? Right, because you've been trained right That's we don't exactly even know right. we've been trained that it's a bad thing so i mean our brain fools us on a regular basis mm. right yep. and the brain the brain loves status quo it doesn't want new things it takes too much energy and cognitive load so it's always trying to fake us into doing less yes and, and growing less because growth is is expensive to the brain mm. yeah You're and working. we don't even know it Mm. It, is, it's, it keeps us in that safety zone, doesn't it? Yeah. Like we're wide, wide for safety, but the difference is that we feel unsafe where we've got to ask a question and we might feel a bit, we might well, feel very Well, it's the ego. Small. It hits the ego, isn't it? It's the the ego. ego comes in and it's like, I should know about microwaves. Why? You should never know yeah. about a microwave. No one knows mm. the back end of a microwave except for the, <laughs> well, you would think that person's that selling it. Do you know what I mean? And they might know less than that. <laughs> and back to the school, I was having some conversations with homeschooling last month and I, I 
spoke to a, a gentleman and he, I just absolutely loved the concept of homeschooling because he said they master a subject before they move on. So when you're in the schooling system, they were saying that there's 25 children in a class. They all have to have the test together. Some of them fake it to make it. Some cheat. Some just don't even do it. They put their heads on the desk. But then that subject's finished and then they go on. No one ever masters a subject. And they get left behind if, they, if they're not up with the pace of every semester. Yeah. They get left behind. So I've really grabbed onto that conversation and, and thought, do we master our lives? Do we master our business? Or do we just keep moving forward like these school systems do? And it's really interesting. And I've, had, I've done the big pause on it because I'm like, when I'm learning something at work, am I learning just to do it and then move on? Or do I, am I really in that space to master this subject? And if it comes up again, will I be able to do it by myself or will I need to ask for help? So, yeah, I just love a, that it's word. It's a terrible concept is indoctrinating children that um, keep up or you're left behind. Mm. But there's an old saying, which I, I don't remember exactly, but it's roughly along the lines of we're all different types of flowers and we blossom at different times. Sure. As children, which is pivotal to our development and how our brains start to grow and work and function, we're taught that if you don't keep up, you're left behind. So we're brought with that wiring into adulthood. And then we go, for example, go back to the microwave example. If you can't keep up with the salesperson, you're left behind. You're a dummy. Yeah. It's a terrible little system that's got going. But I always think of this, you know, like a, um, a pot, a hot pot, and it's got the oil in and you, you pour the corn kernels in there. And that mm. corn kernel, they never all pop at the same time, yeah. do they? <laughs> We're all different corn kernels. <laughs> they all pop at all different times. And I, and I do think this in business too, that you find that employees, they all will pop at the same different times, but it's what we give them to do that. In, in your um, line of work and what you teach people, is it that they've got the, they've got the right people as um, employees, but they're on the wrong seat on the bus, if that makes sense? And do you often go in and go, these people are great with their craft, but we've got them in the wrong role? Is that something that you do? Uh, yes. Uh, it's not the main part of what I do. but mm. So, again, I'm a neuroscience geek. I've been studying neuroscience for 15-ish years, and we have to understand as leaders that, people are spiky that we are idiosyncratic and I don't we... even know what that word means <laughs> what does that mean that's just huge <laughs> sorry too many syllables here. <laughs> yeah. no, spiky it's we're spiky right we so so the best example I've ever heard is Lionel Messi most people in the world yeah. know who Lionel Messi is yeah. he's yeah. one of the best soccer players ever yeah. um he was he was uh, recruited by Barcelona uh, when he was 12 or 13 years old he was then brought from Argentina to Barcelona and with his dad. And then they sort of brought him up. And at 15 years old, he wanted to quit. Why? Because they tried to turn him into the quintessential soccer player, but that's not who he was. Uh. Um, they, they, uh, he's, he's a lefty and he uses his left foot 80 to 90% of the time. Yeah. Okay. And they said, no, you need to develop your right foot so you can have balance. Uh. And he, they also said, Oh, you need to play a position right now. He grew up as a kid and he was always the best soccer player. So he was able to develop his ability to see where the play was going to go before mm. it went there. Mm. And he just got better and better at it. So he moved to where he knew the ball was had a better chance of ending up. So he didn't stay in one spot. He, he moved around. Mm. So he said, I'm quitting. I'm going back to Argentina and whatever. And they said, no, 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 no way. Cause they knew he was something. Mm. What do you want? 
and, and they said, great. Okay. If you want to use your left foot, then make it the best left foot in the game. So he worked on his left foot and you can see things of him where he's, he goes through like six or seven guys and he touches the ball like 16 times mm. twice with his right foot. Everything mm. is with his left foot and everyone knows he's going to touch it with his left foot. And these are the best defenders in the world. Mm, mm. They still can't stop him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's awesome to watch. Yeah. Really and the other, they said, they said, we don't care where you go. He said, just be dangerous. Mm. When you're on the field, just be dangerous. And so if you watch him, I don't know if you ever watched him. Uh, at the beginning of the game, he sort of just walks around. He, he hardly runs. Yeah. But he's always looking around the field and he's, he's basically sort of getting his bearings. Mm. And then he moves to where the ball is and then he goes. And you yeah. can't stop him. Even at 34 years old, he's hard to stop. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's what I mean by spiky, mm. right? Now, mostly what we do in business is we do what the Barcelona team tried to do to him. We turn people into well-rounded individuals mm. and we're not. We are not well-rounded. Your yeah. job as a team leader is to understand the brilliance of each person and then make sure that in the context of what your team is, the function of the team is trying to accomplish, mm. how to put those things together so they work the best way. So I would say you could certainly change the role. You could change the seat. You could split the seat in two. Mm. I mean, who the hell cares, right? You're making it all up anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To do these things, right? We've made it all up, but we have we have totally like this is how this is what you do. If you're this person, you yeah. have this job. If you're a product manager. This is what you do. Not really. I mean, if you're really good at something, let them do that more often. Yeah. And when you do something that you love, really love. Mm. where time flies and you're looking forward to doing the next day, you are highly productive. You're totally engaged and you're, you're excited to be there. Your job as a team leader is to figure out how to get as many people in your organization to do that as often as possible yeah. in the context of, of course, making the business run. Yeah. If you can do that, you'll have 80, 90% engagement from your, your team. You'll need fewer employees. They'll mm. be happier. Your customers will, will be happier. It's just mm. an amazing thing, but we don't do that. I actually just experienced that just before Christmas because a, a big part of our role is crunching numbers and it can get quite detailed and can be quite labor intensive at times. And after 20 years, I've got to a point where, like what you said earlier, I wanted to step away from that, step away from that day-to-day -day administrative type task. And the short end of the story is we come across a lady and I had a conversation with her who potentially she could crunch some numbers. And I came to learn that she absolutely loves mm. crunching the numbers. Yeah. And I said to her, I said, you know what? I said, I actually love the fact that I can give you what you love to do. <laughs> Here you go. Here's the whole package. And her, the extent of detail that she goes to yes. is just unbelievable for me. So when I get the info back from her, I can just screen it for the numbers or the specific points that I'm looking for. I'm looking for that 20%, that 80-20 you talk about. <clears throat> I can spend 20% of my time looking for what I need to then go talk to the client about or you know, get more strategic about what direction we take. But yeah. that was, it was a real light bulb moment for me. And I was always talking about limiting beliefs in some regards. I was always under the impression listening to people in my industry and around that these people are so hard to find. It's like they're unicorns. And I found one. I went, oh, God, we got to hang on to her. <laughs> but they're not it just happened so easy. We don't know where to look. Exactly. Yeah. It just comes so easy. So I totally get what you're saying. And what I want to get to there as well, based on what you said earlier around the neuroscience, and you're a bit of a neuroscience nerd, 
I think I'll probably not I wish too far I was behind. so smart like you. Like, it's oh, a difference. So <laughs> smart. Jeez, imagine the world. Imagine Sunshine Coast with me being so smart like that. <laughs> It'd be amazing. There's all different kinds of smart. <laughs> You're smarter through a lot of things than me. <laughs> so, Bill, what's the what is the gap between science and business that you have seen? And for our listeners, how can they bridge that gap? Yeah, sure. So there's lots of examples. One is, so uh, the hit rate for hiring is 50%. So when you say hit Why? rate, like the, 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 the right fit? Success rate. Success rate yeah. of, of hiring is 50%. That's a flip of a coin. Mm. You could, you could potentially do just as well of picking the best two resumes, hiring them both, and then see which one survives. That's the same as, mm. it's like, as just going through a multi-day, multi-week, multi-person interview process. Mm. Interviewing is the worst way to hire anyone. Why? Because we're full of unconscious biases. Yeah. And we like to hire people who are like ourselves. And, and that's not what you need. You need cognitive diversity in your business mm. in, order to, in order to grow. So that's one. Science says, don't do that, but we, that's what we do. Mm. Um, so the other thing is feedback. Uh, people do not need feedback. They need to be able to grow and improve. And feedback is one tool of many. And by the way, it's one of the worst tools ever. One, because we don't, we don't do it very well. When, when the brain gets feedback, it sees it as, a, as one of those foreign things, right? And our brain mm. doesn't understand the difference between social threat and physical threat very well. So supposedly, I don't know if this is true, but this is what I've read, is that when you get something new into your brain, it goes through your, your brain stem first because your brain's job is to keep you alive. So anything new has to go through there because it needs to tell you to run or not oh. or freeze. Then it goes into your limbic system and then it goes to the front of your brain. So the first thing it comes in, your brain saying, don't do this, stop mm. it because it could be a threat. I don't, I don't recognize it. Oh. That's how it sees feedback. And most feedback is negative. Most feedback is corrective. Now, we should be giving 80% positive feedback and mm -hmm. like 20% corrective feedback. Well, we don't do that. We do probably the opposite or worse. So we're creating a threat mode in our business without even knowing it. I was working with my, my wife. Sorry, my daughter is texting me. Um, <laughs> she's, the only, she's the only Bing on my phone, so I know who it is. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, was, I was talking to my wife. So she's come from a large family and, and they're very diverse in, in their politics and their thinking, et cetera. So my, my, my wife is much more on a liberal side and, and she has some very conservative sisters. And, you know, during the whole Trump era, it said there was a lot of energy in the, in the, in the, in the family. And so she was telling me, you know, that she needs to sort of teach one of her sisters these things that she's learned so she could change her, right? And make sure she changed her mind. Mm. And I said, I said, well, that's great. And, and this, you have all that information. I said, but my recommendation is that you ask her if you can give some feedback, if you could give this information. Mm. And I said, if she says yes, mm. then at least she's opened the door for you. And I said, if she says no, it's a waste of time. Mm. She's not listening anyway. So mm. she came back later that night and I said, how'd it go? And she said, oh, it was fine. And we get into it and we totally, get, you know, we went back and forth. And I said, so what happened? She said, well, I, I let her know. And uh, I said, oh, did you ask her? She said, oh yeah, I asked her. And what did she say? She said, no, I don't want to hear your feedback. <laughs> I said, and you told her anyway. I said, yeah. I said, what happened? Nothing. <laughs> we argued some more. Uh, yeah, right. I think over, um, over here we do um, the set. They call it the sandwich approach. So Horrible approach. Yeah. Horrible approach. That's mm. what a lot of people, even, even raising children, they, they yeah, there, use. There's, a, there's a name, that there's an there's a adjective in front of that. I'm not sure what kind of uh, mm. uh, 
of podcast this is, but oh, it's, it's all good. It's yeah. One letter word. Yes. Yeah. Oh, really? Because they say, you know, you, you go in as the positive. <laughs> the shit sandwich approach. Is yeah. that what you want to say? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You go in the positive and then the negative and then you end with the positive. And um, yeah. you hear it all the time, all the time. And they even say, you know, when you're talking to your children, you know, do the sandwich approach, you know, go in as a positive. You're doing this really well, Johnny. However, you could improve this. But you know what? We love you as our son. So what you've just explained yeah. is you're exactly right. We don't actually ask. We actually just go in straight away thinking that that positive will be accepted. Yeah. Well, we think they need it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we that's must. Right. So, so the best definition I've ever heard of feedback is, is me talking about me in the presence of you. Wow, I like that one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Kind of okay. Yeah. That's Ashley Goodall. And, and the other one is that advice. about Kai. <laughs> Kai does that to me. I do. Not. <laughs> the other one I like is advice is feedback in better clothes. Oh. Um, but that's so that's what I've learned. So that's the science, right? Is, is the science is we don't we don't really want feedback. Um, there are lots of different ways. The, the way I like the best is this guy. His name is um, I'm going to forget. It's Jeff Hunter, I think is his name. And his his approach is is great. It says you first have to create the standard. What is the standard that you want people to achieve? The standard of running a meeting, the standard of answering a phone call, this, whatever, the, whatever the standard is. Mm. And then if the person doesn't meet the standard, you say, you know, so how do you think that went? So you say you're in a meeting, right? And say, how do you think that meeting went? Um, and you get their, get their answer. Often people are honest with themselves. If you're open with them mm. and you say, okay, so how do you think we did relative to the standard? And then they look at the standard and say, oh, well, I guess maybe not. Okay, so what what areas of the standard didn't we meet? Oh, here and here. Okay, so great. What do you think you'd want to do next time that would be different that would get you closer or to meet the standard? And they say, oh, next time I'd probably do this, I'd probably do that, etc. They solved their own problem. Mm. You didn't give them any feedback at all. Um, and my guess is they're going to follow through because they were the ones who came up with it. Mm. We don't yes. do it that way. No, 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 no. It's always yeah, telling, like you explain with your daughter. Yeah, And so another thing that we hear is, um, is it like if we said, well, um, that didn't work out, how would you do it? How would you do it? Or, or um, well, that's probably not a very good example. Um, yeah, don't well, judge. Don't say that didn't work out, right? You're, you're basically yes. saying, how do, you, how do you think that went? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you're leaving it very open for them to make their own yeah. conclusion in their own mind as opposed to almost implanting an answer into their head. Sometimes you have to prompt them yeah right and say you know you can certainly say if they say i think it went great and then i would say okay so give me some examples of mm. how it went great and then you would come off with examples and he said ah. is there any part of the meeting that you thought didn't go as great as those that you noticed and mm. then sometimes they say you know sometimes they don't because people don't want to admit whatever yeah um and then at that, at that point there's something that they haven't noticed that you think is really important you what you need to do is say so i totally agree um and maybe there's there's one thing that I noticed that you didn't mention. Would you be okay if I told you that? Mm. And again, if they say no, ask. then you don't. Mm. Now, because getting permission is tricking the brain stem, right? It's the front part of your brain tricking the old part of your brain saying, let this through. This oh. isn't going to hurt us. Now, it's not a guarantee, but it increases the chances that they'll be receptive to whatever you say next. 
So is this part of everything we're talking about now, is this part of creating a culture of psychological safety? Oh, yeah. The way in which we're communicating with our people, with our team, that they feel safe to not only respond, but also communicate freely in anything yeah. that might be on their mind. So this is all forming part of that concept. It is. And that gets back to what we started off with, Kai, which is mindset, right? Mindset, and, yeah. yeah. And Coaching this is the called mindset. Growth, the growth mindset. Is if, you understand, if you really believe in a growth mindset, meaning you, you believe in the power of the word yet, I don't know how to do that yet. Yeah. I am I haven't learned that yet, right? And yeah. if you believe that in yourself and you believe that you have a plastic brain and you can get better at things, especially if you if you're passionate about them, you love them, mm. then you'll put in the time and effort. If you don't, then you probably won't put in the time and effort. Mm. And that's okay. You know, again, find someone else who loves that and let them yeah. do it. Yeah. But if you believe that in yourself, you're much more likely to believe it in others. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. Right. And then now you're acting differently towards them. Then this gets you to diversity, equity, inclusion, and then performance. Right. Mm. That, if you don't have a growth mindset, you, you probably won't have a diverse or inclusive culture. Mm. And I think it's really important, too, that that growth mindset is not just purely what we were talking about earlier, growing for the sake of growing. So focusing on the numbers, focusing on getting more business, focusing on getting more sales even organically or even by virtue of having a great culture of psychological safety, the business will grow. And I imagine that the people that you have in your business, if they're ever communicating with suppliers, customers, or clients, if they're feeling good about where they're working and they have an environment of psychological safety, that's going to shine through on the phone. It's going to shine through in their emails. It's going to mm -hmm. shine through in their care and attention to your customers. So it's a really, yeah. really huge component of successful business, not just let's get more sales. Well, especially so further to that, Kai, is that if, if you have the growth mindset and you want to grow as a business, these people will feel comfortable shoving new ideas into you. Yes. Right. And, and I don't care who you are. I don't care how smart you are. And if you work for a hundred person company and you've got 99 other people throwing stuff mm. at you saying, what about this? What about that? You, you don't have a chance. I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get inundated with all yeah. these cool ideas and your job will be to figure out, okay, based upon our purpose and our passion and our BAG and all these things, which of these ideas should we further mm. explore yeah. hey, as opposed jinx. to having a company <laughs> actually, I believe that's what Steve Jobs did and, and it became apparent to me that that's how he will potentially built his business. And this sounds funny, but it came from Bill Burr, the comedian who did a little part of his act was talking about Steve jobs. And it was hilarious part of his act, the way that Bill delivered it, but he was basically saying, Steve didn't do anything. He just had this room full of nerds <laughs> that just filled him with ideas all the time. <laughs> and he'd turn up at work, say one day and go, I want all this music, which might've been CDs. I want all that in that build it and walk away. <laughs> it was a really obviously oversimplified, you know, tongue in cheek type delivery, but the overall concept I think is, is exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. If you have a culture, a genuine team culture, then the business will grow up and grow together. But it's, it's a very, very, um, back to what you were saying, Kel, mastering that subject. So mastering psychological safety it's definitely worth the investment it can be a little bit tricky and that's obviously mm. where people like you come into it and would you say your book is a good start yeah my book uh, i quote amy Edmondson in my book um yeah okay it's in the first i think it's in the first 
page, maybe two pages. Yeah. Okay. And, and my book is about teams, you know, building a system and cash and team is to me the, the primary thing you want to build. Yeah. Uh, I'd say fully. So it's three parts of the book. The team part is the, the largest part of all the three parts. Uh, you're talking about setting the standard. So yeah. in and around company culture, whether it's the standard that needs to be set in and around a meeting, whether it be a certain process in the business, what are some tangibles that a listener could take away to go, you know, what does setting a standard look like? Is it at numbers? Is it vibe? Is it, well, after this meeting, you want to make sure everyone walks out totally happy? Or Can you tell us a little bit more how you do that? Yeah, because we always um, talk about expectations. What's the expectation of this meeting? Yeah. So, so let's do a meeting because we suck at meetings. And so let's, let's do that. <laughs> we have a meeting to have a meeting. <laughs> a meeting to talk about the meetings. <laughs> so here's, here's a standard. It's the one I like, um, mm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be yours is before you even have the meeting, what you need to say, and you need to write down, what is the ideal outcome of this meeting? Yeah. How would I describe the end of this meeting and how we left? Then you say, okay, now who should I invite that would get us the greatest chance of achieving that outcome? Yeah, okay. Once you do that, then you write, then you write an agenda. Then you then you also figure out who who needs to be spoken to before the meeting so we can bring their uh, reflections in. And then who do we need to inform after the meeting? Then you have the meeting, you do what you do. Whenever it's done, it's done. Right. If it takes you 10 minutes and you did an hour, but you're done, the meeting's over. Mm. If it takes an hour and 10 minutes because you're not quite done, then you decide, should we either continue this? Yeah. You know, we all have to go to another meeting or do you, or do you just extend? Cause you want to make sure you finish. Mm. And then the last thing is once in a while rate the meeting. Yeah. Okay. Everyone give a score from one to five. And then those people gave like a two or three, cause it wasn't so great. Then you say, okay, what would we need to do next time in order to make this a better meeting? Mm. That's our standard. That's yeah. how we run meetings. And if you ran a bad meeting, then you'd say, which of these things didn't you do? Yeah. Or was it just bad luck? I mean, it just might've been a bad meeting, right? Who knows? <laughs> I guess it, it's important to identify whether it's a, a consistent problem. And that's yeah, been changed. Every meeting is yeah. run the same exact way. Now that the, the conversation is interesting, but that's how we run our meetings. That's mm. our framework for meetings. That's the standard that we meet. Mm. And if you run bad meetings and you're not meeting the standard, then you're probably not a good employee here. Yeah. And one of the standouts in that was that who do you actually invite to the yeah. meeting? So for example, what got me thinking there was that let's say there's I don't know, 20 people in the business, 50 people in the business, you know exactly out of those 50 people that the list of 22, John, Sally, otherwise, they need to come in. The other 30 odd, no, they're not suitable. So that goes back to what we we're talking about earlier is having the right people doing what they love in the right parts of the business. So that way, when they are coming to the meeting, they're bringing all that good energy. They've got a desire to make this part of what they do grow. They want to contribute to the meeting because it's what they love doing. So it really comes back to me, and listening to what you're saying, comes back to the foundation of the right people doing what they love in the well, business. Yeah, and it's what I've heard from Bill is it's the standard. So. I know in businesses that I go to, it's just obligation. Oh, we've got to, yeah. it's an obligation that Sally has to come because she's just in yeah, that role. That's what I mean. Yeah. So we just, and so what you're saying makes sense. That's just like a mic drop for me because <laughs> I do it. I just go, oh, well, because she's got that job role, she's just got to be at the meeting. No. Well, yeah, maybe not. She oh, my God. Suitable. 
watch out. You might, you might want to, you might want to tell her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to chat with her before the meeting and say, I'm going to be your proxy in the meeting. So, so here's what we're doing. Can you, you know, give me your stuff and I'll let you know what happens after. If she gets offended, then, then the thing is, okay, then, then you need to work on these things. Then you need to bring your skills and knowledge, et cetera, up to this level. Then we're not, we're not here to, to entertain you or to, to inform you. We're here to, to get something done. Yes, because yeah. people feel left out, don't they, when they don't get invited to meetings. <laughs> I know. It's such a culture, though. Let's go to a meeting. You know, they've got cake and food and, and it but becomes then, like a little party. we're in too many meetings. Yeah, right? That's right. <laughs> it's sort of like this is paradox. Yes. Yeah. Unless there's those people in your business who just, for example, love crunching numbers and don't want to waste time on meetings. Oh, wow. <laughs> for example. Bill, I've got this question that I really wanted to ask you. You're a great, um, you're a person of great influence. If you could start a movement that would bring the most amount of good to the um, most amount of people, what would that be? Uh, so um, again, back to my, to, to why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Is mm. that I would like to start a moving, a movement. I've asked, I've been asked this question, sort of a magic wand question or whatever, right? If I had a superpower, what would it be? Mm. And it would basically be a movement that, that has everyone saying that it doesn't have to be this way. We didn't, we, we spend most of our adult lives at work mm. and most of us are miserable mm. and we don't have to be that way. There mm. is a way to do it. It's been proven over and over and over again for centuries, um, for millennia. There's a company in, in right outside of Kyoto, Japan, that's been around for a thousand years God. and they make mochi, mochi is sort of a, a, a rice um, based dessert, frozen oh. rice dessert in uh, in japan mm. um so that's a movement i would create is, is that we sort of have this groundswell to help each other remind each other that mm. you know you don't you don't have to be you know activity is not the same as productivity you don't ha- you should be you should be loving your job yeah. right you should be in a situation where you create the environment if you're a leader that people love to come to work and then you should create a lead, a, an environment for yourself that you're doing things as often as possible that you love so that would be my movement i guess it would be a movement of love yeah, I actually love that. I think that's a great concept. <laughs> love, love. Because <laughs> I, I know for myself personally in our business, and just going back to that that brief example of that lady that loves crunching numbers, it actually, and we've covered this off throughout the chat with you today too. I actually it actually gave me room and gave me headspace to start thinking more and creating more about what I love to do, and I wasn't consumed by three four hours of number crunching on a daily basis. It was a very very freeing experience and then that is sort of injected me with more energy to keep that momentum going okay how do we get more of these people involved how do i do less of the stuff that i don't want to do yeah it's a really really cool concept and i think sometimes what i've seen in business owners i'm not sure if you you probably would too bill that there's almost this element of control that a leader or a ceo feels they need to have over everything and they need to be making the decision and they need to be directing that how do you help a business leader or business owner overcome that and detach from that need. So we, we create those, um, I call them sort of guardrails. I don't know if you have this in, in Australia, but uh, we have candle pin bowling here in the United States. And, and so kids can do it cause they're little tiny balls. So you can have kids oh, yeah. pull and they have the little barriers that you can put up on the side. Oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. We've got those, the yeah. Bumpers, right. So that's your job is your job is to create the bumpers. So you ah. say you can do anything you want in here. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. And you feel comfortable as a leader that, you know, they might screw up, but it won't be existential, et cetera. Mm. 
So you, and that's again around values and purpose and, you know, what are we good at and, and how well do we know our customer and mm. it's creating all of those standards really. And those, those principles to mm. run the business, then you can relax. It's back to courage, right? You just described Kai fear. Mm. The reason yeah. you need to control is because we're fearful that people are going to screw up. We're going to lose money, yep. whatever. Customers are going to be unhappy, mm. whatever it might be. Um, and you have to create an environment where you lessen your fear. And, and be okay with people screwing up and then you correct them. Mm. But you know that you've set the environment that as long as you hired well and, and you keep them sort of yeah, in that yeah. space, they're not going to really screw up that badly you can, and you can relax. Mm. Mm. It's letting go, isn't it? That's the magic ingredient, I think, overall. Just letting yeah. go and relax. <laughs> Let it flow. Yeah. I have, I have a client right now that he has a hard time letting go and, and mm. I'm trying to get him to create this environment. And he, and he wants to let go, but he can't. Mm. Right, because we're not hitting deadlines and we're not doing these things, and so he keeps creeping nah. in, knowing full well he shouldn't, but he can't. <laughs> and he's probably blocking it. You know the whole universe thing. You know if you keep pushing, 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 um, you, you block things. You know you yeah. block that flow. Mm. How far do you go with clients hacking into that psyche and, and trying to rewire them? So, uh, so if, if they don't if they don't do uh, three fundamental things within a year, I I quit. Yeah. Okay. Is it the right. three fundamental things different for each person no. or each business? No. No. It's generally, it's generally, have you written a vision? Um, have you created the best possible team around you? And have you begun to fire yourself from the day to day? I have. You don't yeah. do those three things. I can't. <laughs> help you. I, give, I give you a year to do it. Yeah. yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. It's yeah. good. Long. I mean, you yeah, know, that's fine. No, I mean, like that, that's generous. So, to me, it's not a very, very hard approach. Get this done in two months or, or that's it. Mm. I think it's, it's a very generous amount of time. super hard. That's, beha- that's fundamental behavior. Back to beliefs, right? Yeah. Beliefs really hard. We will argue irrationally mm. to support our beliefs. It, the, the best one I ever heard was, you know, this guy who's super fit, right? He's, he's in great shape. He's got no body fat, et cetera. You know, and he says, I'm really, I'm really fit. I'm really healthy. And his, fr- his friend looks at him and says, but you smoke. Oh, I don't smoke that much. <laughs> How's, how's what's how much yeah. exactly so Depend on what. Uh, so you're not super healthy if you yeah. put burning embers into your lungs <laughs> cancer causing yeah. embers <laughs> yeah so yeah i know what you mean but, but we see our we are heroes of our own story right we we need to believe in ourselves in a certain mm. way so we will make up crazy ass reasons for what we do that make really no sense but to us they make perfect sense because yeah. if they didn't make sense, then that would violate who I am. And what would that mean? Yeah, people mm-hmm. living in ego. And that's um that's a, a we sense. all do it, by the way, Kelly. We yeah. all do it. Oh, oh yeah. That's that psychological safety, isn't it? Like we've got our own beliefs yeah. that we like to stick to because it, we feel safe in those beliefs. And to challenge yeah. them, that's when we start going, Oh shit, I'm out of my comfort zone, like you touched on before. The brain goes, Hey, I don't recognize this. What's mm-hmm. going on? Alert, yeah. alert, <laughs> do something. It's so our mind is uh, very, very, uh, very tricky to master in the sense like first and foremost, you've got to have the awareness, but it can, if you let it run, it'll run down any rabbit warren it wants to, if you let it, like it, you've got to be on top of it. Wouldn't it be good if it just had like a little peaky door? Like, hey, what's going on in there? Like, what do you so, need so from me? Kelly, you're right. There is a peaky door. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's one question that you ask yourself and you try to ask yourself all the time. What if I'm wrong? Mm. Have you ever asked yourself that? Well, not in our debates, you haven't. Oh. 
<laughs> Thank you, Bill. <laughs> well, that comes into it. Doesn't that, that comes into another like topic that we could talk about? Is shame, isn't it? Like you know yeah, that what is wrong? Renee Brown of, is all over that, right? Yeah, yeah the so. shame sort of thing and being vulnerable and being okay to to accept that you are wrong. And I think that's that goes. And you're into, not a lesser person for it in the workforces because mm. sometimes. Um, in my experiences when I've been into um, businesses, um, people make mistakes and they don't put their hand up and so they just try and cover it up. But then this yeah. mistake becomes massive behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. we've lost a lot of money. Holy shit, um, how are we going to tell a client or, um, you know, and you can see them scramble. Um, but if they actually just had that conversation, that awkward conversation and a brave conversation right at the beginning, the problem couldn't have, might have been less mm. to actually fix. Mm. Yep. So, Bill, Agreed. just uh, there's four questions. I, I could uh, keep talking to you for ages, but I think you'd be Me probably too. due for dinner and yeah. whatever yes. else down the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to finish up with four questions if that's okay. Uh, right. Very light, very easy going questions. The fourth one is all about how do our listeners get hold of you and your book and all those sorts of things. The first one is if you could have dinner with any leadership icon, who would you want to spend with and why? Alan Mulally. Gotcha. Mm. Alan Mulally is the best leader I have seen in a century, if not longer. Yeah, okay. He's better than Steve Jobs, better than Sam Walton, better than Herb Kelleher. Name your great leader. Why? Because he turned around Boeing in the middle of 9-11 and he turned around Ford in the middle of 2008 and he is a wonderful human being. What yeah. What is uh, one special thing about Alan that enabled him to get those quality. results? Humility. He is okay. one of the most humble people you'll ever meet, and probably because you don't even know who he is, do you? I do. I do, because I watched do a documentary okay. on him the other most day. Most people do not know who he is. No. I have asked hundreds of leaders uh, who, if they know who he is, and only like 10% knew who he was. Oh, mm. no, because I, yeah. Uh, the was best a big, one ever. There was yeah, a big okay. documentary here in Australia about Bowen. Oh, cool. The other day, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I remember that, yeah, yeah, listening to it. And uh, what guy. are your three guiding values in life? And, and by the way, by the oh, way, sorry. I'm going to have dinner with him. Alan Mulally and I are now friends. Ah, oh. uh, and I'm your yeah. friend now, so <laughs> you can just yeah, we are friends. He, yeah. he actually read read an article I wrote about him. He, he he sent me an email. We talked on the phone last summer. I I send him emails. I have his personal cell phone number. We are, oh. I should say, we're friendly. See, that's, that's a so cool. that's a sign of. Uh, being genuine yeah. you yeah, genuinely admired the man for the person who he was mm. and you wrote and he an turned out to be that guy yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome yeah it wasn't yeah. a mythical anyway, creature so what was your second question yeah. next one was uh what is your favorite book uh i don't know that i have a favorite but i do have some that become favorites probably the one the one that i talk about there are two that i talk about the most which is um nine lies about work which is from marcus buckingham mm-hmm which just dispels a lot of these. That's where part of the leadership isn't a thing. He talks about that a lot. And I agreed with him before he said it, but he does a better job of saying it than I do. Uh, and the other is Your Brain at Work, which is from David Rock, who runs the Neuroleadership Institute. It just helps you to understand how to be a brain-friendly leader so you're not inadvertently putting your teams into threat mode, which uh, we do all the time. Yeah. Is there, have you read the book uh, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks? I found that it was just perfect timing for for me anyway and it was it's all about uh the the term upper limit problem almost along the lines of self self self-sabotage so when we're about to succeed or we're having a good run of success we end up sabotaging ourselves because of an upper limit problem like we're you know we might have fear of success we might feel that we're not capable of stepping up to that next level like there might be a a merger opportunity and we sabotage it 
Yeah, because, that's your brain working against you. Yeah, we're that getting, is your brain working against you every time because it it doesn't want it wants the status quo. Mm, safety. Mm, I'm going to feed my brain all this good stuff. So we're going to be friends. I'm going to befriend my brain. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It makes 32,000 decisions a day for you. So oh, it's going to be my best friend. You got to at least have, you know, a good 80% of those good thoughts yeah. or decisions. Okay. That's, a, that's a good book. Get to know your brain. There, there you go, Bill. <laughs> Oh, that's a book you're gonna we're gonna write. Yeah, get, <laughs> get to, to know, know your brain. brain through the peeping Actually, door. Actually, Bill Bill Bryson already wrote it. It's a oh, really good bugger. <laughs> mm. I have to retitle it. Mm. All right, Bill. The, the next question was: uh, What are three of your guiding values in life? Uh, I actually have a, a, a bunch, but so mm. my my values are are compassion, uh, forgiveness, mastery. They're Very great. They're yeah. they're a bit like mine, actually. Yeah, mm. very similar. Yeah, and uh, I, I did say four questions. Uh, I'm going to add a fifth one because I really wanted to ask this one. Oh, you've got to ask if it's okay. Remember, it's okay. <laughs> you've got to ask Bill. Oh, it's can. true. That's Come right. On, Kai. Learning is taking place. That's <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Is it okay that I add an extra question, funny. Bill? Yeah. Yes, please, please do. <laughs> That's kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is exactly, exactly. <laughs> It was a given when you when mm. we uh, started the podcast. All right, mm. so would you like to share a final word with our listeners, something you feel be really valuable? Uh, so I've already done a bunch. Um, so the last yeah. one is that too many leaders rely on effort, luck, and timing and force of will to run their businesses, and those don't scale profitably. You got you got to stop doing that. Figure out ways to not have those be your your guiding principles in running your business. Awesome. And this is, I guess, technically not a question, but it was is was in one of the four. How do our listeners get hold of you? Where do they find you? Your book, all that really cool stuff that you've you know, we've spoken a bit about today. So, how do they get hold of me? Uh, very gently, if they would. Um, <laughs> sorry, the best place is my website, which is catalystgrowthadvisors.com. Everything is on there: phone number, email, my book. You can download my book for free from there. You can get it from Amazon. I've got a 130 blog posts on there. I've got an entire resource list of books you can Jeez. read and podcasts I watch. That's the place to go, www.catalystgrowthadvisors.com. Okay, that sounds good. That, um, thank you for that clarity too about all the resources on there, the, the number of blogs and the, the book and everything. That's cool. We'll make sure mm. that goes into the post. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for your time today. I feel privileged to be in front of you and, <laughs> um, and spent some time with yeah. you this morning. It's, um, this is one of the m- many um, great things about our podcast. We get to speak to people like mm. you. And Kai and I are always learning too, as well as our listeners from people like you, um, sharing your craft and, and, and being okay to share it. You know, that th- the problem these days is people don't share because they're, they're, t- they're fearful of sharing their ideas and, mm. and, and, you know, where I believe in that share to everybody. There's enough people in this world to, to, um, to go around and share everything that we, we learn and our knowledge. Yeah, we very yeah. much appreciate it. And that's obviously uh, back to your purpose of that, that simplified mm. Servanthood. Simplify servanthood, yeah. So we really appreciate you serving (laughs) us and our listeners today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for being on It's More Than Money podcast, which you can find that podcast. To listen to Bill, we're on all the major sort of channels like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
uh, Google Podcasts, all those sorts of things. So if you want to listen to Bill, definitely recommend it. And download the book on the website I'm mm. going to, and we're going to put it up on our Facebook too for everybody yeah. to um, to grab it. So, yeah. We'd love to have you on again, if you would. I feel there's a lot more in your brain that we could pull out. It's smart. <laughs> we'll open yeah. that little Be door. Be careful what you ask for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we like all that juicy stuff. Yeah. Thank, so you, thank you, again, Bill. Bill. Have a Cheers. good evening the over there, guys. hey? Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to It's More Than Money. This podcast has been recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Before we go, don't forget to click on the subscribe button for this podcast and wherever you listen to it, give it a rating as well. If you'd like to find out more, you can always go to our website, parentfg.com, or you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Please leave a suggestion for a future topic if you wish. Either way, we'd love to hear from you, so let us know your thoughts. We'll have another episode soon. Thanks for listening to It's More Than Money. Take care and catch you next time.